Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 24. My next guest is Donalyn Riley. Donalyn is a podcast host and a joy coach who has ridden the roller coaster of life. When Donalyn was in her addiction with alcohol, she saw a woman twice her age working her way through a gallon box of wine, and that's when she knew she would never be an old drunk. However, she could easily imagine jumping off a 10-story building, but not that. It was in that moment that scared her right into getting help to get sober. She's been sober since 1995. Donalyn knows how to choose joy consistently. From a career in the Broadway stage in New York City to CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation, the highs have been significant and the walk through the valley equally amplified, right down to the recent loss of her husband and house all at the same time. Understanding how to live in this world joyously has been the guiding light for Donalyn, resulting in finding beauty in every day. Take a listen. Hi, Donalyn. Thank you for coming to my podcast. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So before we get into what you do for a living, tell me a little bit what life looked like before sobriety. Yeah, so this is a really interesting question because it's been a very long time for me, <laughs> which is uh, pretty amazing in itself. Right. When I think about that period of my life, um, I, I really think about this particular day that I remember waking up, I would always sort of wake up like a shot, you know, so I'd be sort of halfway across the room but by the time I was conscious mm-hmm. and I cursed and I thought to myself, this is how your life is. This is how your life is that you are not happy that you're here (laughs) you're you're you know everything's out of control in your life and what are you going to do about it so that moment i was really cognizant but i didn't have any answers i was just like yep this is what life's like oh well (laughs) right Right? (laughs) um and so i continued my same behaviors and continued to go down that road and it wasn't until, you know, I I had people in my life who used to be drinkers who were not drinkers anymore, older siblings, people like that. So I had role models. I had people kind of looking at me going, I know you're making it look good for us, but. Right. Um, and the idea of an old drunk was not gonna happen for me. It just, I knew that I would never be old and drunk because I would jump, right? I would be a jumper. And that was, I was like, that's my plan. If it just stays terrible for too long, that's my plan. To die, to jump off of yeah. Oh yeah. Building I mean, I used die. to go up on the, on the roofs. I lived in New York city and I used to go up on the roofs mm-hmm. and just kind of walk around. It was before people had security. You know what I mean? People mm-hmm. didn't, people didn't do those kinds of things like people do now, right? It, life is, amped up in a general sense so that uh that feeling of like everything was sort of safe to do so you could you could absolutely go up to like tons of roofs in new york city and 
go walk around, step up on the wall, hang around, put your knees over the wall, you know, all the things. Um, and nobody would notice you until it was time to, you know, until somebody noticed you on the floor. Um, so yeah, it was, I thought a lot about it. I thought a lot about it, you know, and, and my life was really, really good. Right. I was achieving all of the things that I wanted to achieve. I was angry all the time, but it was okay because I justified it in these ways, right? Life on, on the scoreboard, I could make it look really, really good. And in reality, in the internal reality, and in the reality that like, I knew it was gonna catch up with me at some point, people were gonna figure it out, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that I was a disaster area, right? Because I was very high maintenance in my work and just all of it was like, you can't, this is unsustainable. And I can remember, uh, I can remember seeing someone that I knew, I knew her and she was, I was maybe 20 something, you know, I was early twenties and she was 50 something. And I remember the box of wine. She was drinking a box of wine. I was like, that's not even good booze. What's going on? Right. And the, and watching the progression happen over the course of a night and seeing how her life was stalled. Her life was completely stalled. And I thought, well, that's way worse. That's way worse. What if I don't die? I'm, I'm in real trouble. I need help. Cause if I don't croak, I'm going to be that or worse. And I had big dreams, right? I had big dreams. I think a lot of times addicts do. <laughs> um, we have big dreams. I just spent the weekend uh, with someone I know who also has been, has a similar background to mine and he's achieved unbelievable heights, you know, financially and in, in his relationships and all of these things. And th said the same thing to me, right? He said the same thing. He said like, I had big dreams and everybody thought I was just a crack addict. <laughs> you know? um, and we have to figure out how to get a hold of that before we can actually go anywhere with it, right? That desire, that's real. Right. That was real for me. Um, but how to actually integrate, how do you get up in the morning and go through a day and not, you know, do things that alienate people, not create enemies, not wish you were gone, not, not remember what happened to the last half of the day, right? All of those things have to, for me, they had to be, I had to learn how to do them. Right. I had to figure out how to do them. And for me, not uh, figuring out how not to, to have a day like that was way easier without the alcohol. Way well, easier. So how long were you drinking before the shift? This is a good question. I think I started drinking in a very small capacity, right? Not in a big capacity when I was about six or seven years old. And so access to alcohol was super easy and it was a part of our culture in my family. And so it was not a thing, right? <laughs> Cause everybody drank like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and I was, um, I would say what I would consider out of control, right? I couldn't remember certain passages. There's still to this day, there are people who won't talk to me because I don't know why 
I don't know why. <laughs> they wouldn't tell me and I'm okay with that, right? Like whatever I did, it needs to stay in the past for them and I don't need it, right? Sure. I don't need it. Um, so I would bet that was probably 10, 10 or 12 years that I did that. Wow. And yeah. the key things in your life to make you think differently, when you started, I don't want that. You saw that woman drinking box of wine, not your stick. You'd rather die before having that happen. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. once you figured that part, like not, I don't want this, I have dreams. What did you mm -hmm. do next? You know, um, I, like I said, I have family who've been through the process and who my siblings are all older than I am. Uh -huh. So I had the benefit of that. And I can remember that my sister who has always been sort of an advocate for me, right? She's like that, that big sister that you have. That's like, you're fantastic. You're a complete screw up. Now let's fix it. Right. Um, she invited me to a dinner. I lived in New York city. She lives in Connecticut. So it was like a big deal to go there and, and be a part of that. And it was a sober dinner which I did not know beforehand. So I was really uncomfortable. But one of the things that I had gotten very good at was acting as if everything was okay mm -hmm. when I was dying inside, right? So it didn't matter if that dying came from wishing that we were drinking or if that came from any other source, right? W wishing I was actually, actually good at your job. You know, that thing where you doubt yourself so much that you can't even see that like they hired you because you did these other things and you actually did them and you're, you're going to be okay. You just keep, keep putting one foot in front of the other and sure. you'll be all right. Um, and so I went to that dinner and that was, uh, it was Memorial day weekend of whatever year that was mm -hmm. 95 pretty sure. And, uh, and there were all these people not drinking. And I was like, this is interesting. And one of her best friends is a psychologist and she and I, Oh, we had the best conversation. I love talking to her because, uh, it was all theoretical, right? It was all not me. So it was okay to talk about any side of you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And putting on a show, you know, it was always, it was always like, it's out there and I'm not going to tell them, how much time I spend in the bar. I'm not going to tell them how much, right? Cause I know what they think already, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, so I went to that dinner and I had a great time and I was really uncomfortable because I wasn't drinking and I still had a great time. And I thought, wow, this is a world I don't really understand. I don't know what it's like, but I remembered what happened that night. And that was significant for me. Right. I woke right. up the next morning and I thought, I know what conversation I had with whom at what point. Right. I know whose bed I'm in right now. You know how right? I got there. All those indicators that it like, oof, I really lost track of myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I and I didn't, and I still had a great time. And I thought, okay, this is cool. This is really cool. And I had already been through that, that sort of face yourself period that I had talked about with you, but I still was drinking. I, I, that didn't get me to stop drinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? I needed a road out. I needed to know that it was safe to not be doing these behaviors that were, that were really destructive for me and, and sort of put me on a road that led to nowhere. Um, 
before I, I was able to do that. And I think it was five days later that I, I had stopped drinking. That's what it was. I never stopped. I stopped, but I never drank after that moment. I thought, okay, I'm good with that. I'd stop drinking. Uh, I'm going to not drink because I had a good time at that party. So I'm going to not drink. And so I had been toying with this idea of like, how do I do it? Right. right. And, um, but the thing is my friend from college had uh, rung me up and it was someone I wanted to impress. I was in a relationship with somebody. It wasn't like that, but I, I thought he was important in the world and I wanted to impress him. And he said, let's go out for a beer. Uh, and I was like, sure. Yeah. And I got there and I ordered Grolsch. I like, I can remember it. I, I, it wasn't like my beer of choice or anything. Mm -hmm. And he said, let's go to another bar. And I said, okay. And I thought this had better be the last time you have a beer. This had better be it. As I, I can remember putting it down on the thing on the uh, bar and we walked out and we did go to another bar and I didn't have anything to drink. And I thought, yeah, that you're done. You're actually done now. You need to get out of this situation. You're not going to go play with people who play this way anymore because it's not safe for me. And that I had to backtrack that later, right? Like it's significant as a memory, but I didn't know what day that happened, right? I had to go look at my book later when they were like, how many days have you been doing this? And I'm like, I don't know. I, right. I didn't know we were counting. What's the, what's the system here? Right, you know? right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you made a choice. How do you just, from all that period of time where it was normalized most of your upbringing and mm -hmm. everybody around you, a lot of everyone around you did it, and you just decided, I'm not going to do this anymore. How do you even do that? As you mm. know, this is a disease and it is hard. You, it is hard to do one and done. Mm. But I don't think it really was one and done. I think you can always point to that last drink as your one and done, right? And maybe it's, uh, you know, so much alcohol or drugs that you don't remember what happened and you ended up someplace you shouldn't have ended sure. up. Or maybe it's one, right? Maybe it's that, my story. Of it was one and I was like, I'm in over my head. Um, but I don't think that that's when I decided, right? Mm -hmm. I think there was a period of not controlling myself, right? Not being able to, to honor that decision that came oh. before that, right? Where I saw that this was an issue for me, where I was on the phone with somebody who was sober every day, right? That same sister. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of indicating that there were these things that were out of control in my life, right? And of course, I was hiding half of it from her, the poor thing. Um, <laughs> but still, I was getting to sort of talk through like, does this happen? And of course, this is how everybody lives. And she was like, this is not how the people I know now live. And I was like, really? What's that? Right. So there was a whole period of probably about three months that I had the time to reflect and then make the mistake again and then realize where it led me and then come back and say, okay, is this working now? Is How about that director that doesn't want to talk to you anymore? You're not getting that job again, right? How, how did that happen? Oh, I got angry. How did I get angry? Oh. I felt overwhelmed. Oh, how did, right? And I know the words now, but I didn't even know the words then, right? So that being able to kind of have some time to compress, decompress that information in, in me, 
and know that like I'm trying not to head for those two spots that I saw. I'm trying not to head to the miserable 50 year old, you know, down in as much alcohol as she possibly can. And I'm trying not to head for splat, right? So I knew that, that was the decision, right? That was it, that was all I had. And then I had to sort of figure it out one day at a time for a few months until there was a moment where I thought, oh, that's enough hope. Like now I can look back at it and I can say that, right? Sure. But in the moment, I didn't know that. I was like, mm, those people were different, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that I think that it's hard to, when you're in that situation, I don't think it is a decision that you make once. I think it's a decision you make over and over and over again. Sure. And you and you don't honor it for a while, but you just keep getting up and making that same decision again until you can honor it. It's so beautiful because there's this in-between. I mean, well, it sounded very like either I die or I turn into this person who I don't yes, want to be. Yes. So now what's left? And you're making a choice. Well, I don't want those things. So what were you, what were you beginning to choose over those things, those two very clear things? So I had, um, I, I was in a career that was really excessive. So, and it was, it was a career I wanted from, you know, from the time I was young, I was in the theater and I was a designer and um, it was all or nothing, right? And it was all or nothing on every level, like, you know, it was how my self-worth went. It's how all of it went, right? Like either you're up in lights or you're just nothing. You're nothing. You don't even have a job title. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody knows who you are. Well, of course, everybody knows who you are in your circle, but sure. it feels like that. Um, uh, and so I had this lifestyle that was extreme and excessive all the time. So that was one of the things that shifted over the next little bit of time maybe it took a year, might've taken about a year before there was any stability outside of that world for me to be able to do something different. But I think it was during that year that I went to one of the people that I knew that, um, so I, I worked freelance. I worked as many days in a row as possible. This was just to sort of give you the sense of like, my life was like, right. you don't get to sleep. There's no sleeping, stop sleeping, get up. You're lazy, right? Ah, uh -huh. Right. So all of that sort of pressure, and so as as I tried to continue to just not pick up a drink, and I I don't think it's the only way, but I absolutely am so grateful that I went to a program mm -hmm. so that I could get help because, like I said, I didn't even know the names of the emotions that I was having, and I didn't know why anybody would know the names like that right. sense of separation that you get where you're like oh not just i am in it but i am feeling it oh i could be slightly separate from that feeling of i'd like to hit you over the head with a pan sure. right? right so um so yeah so that life was super excessive and i think over about a, the course of about a year I started to, I went to one of the business owners I knew who ran a studio, a sound studio as a sound designer. And I said, uh, I, I had worked for him. I had uh, one of my day jobs, right. Was to be a 
Pro Tools editor, and it was back in the day when nobody nobody knew how to, you know, it was new. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's like, it's in everybody's house. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was brand new. And so one of the things I would do was go around to the, to the Midtown studios and teach people how to use it really wow. quickly and how to be super efficient and things like that. And so the guy, I knew this one guy and I said, I, I, I want to work for you. And he said, uh, it's, it's a quarter of the money of everybody else. And I was like, yeah, let's make a different deal. How do we make a different deal? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what I want? I want to know how to run a business. That's what I want to know. I want to know how you function with people on a business level. And so I'll work for you as much as I can for that rate if you'll teach me how to run your business. And he said, okay. And that was the beginning of like, okay, it could, there could be a life that is different than the life, the excessive life that I have. And I can remember making so many mistakes, you know, having that, um, you know, just, it just piles on to your world, right? Because you're sober and you kind of really wish you weren't and you kind of, you know, (laughs) you know, I could just have, a bottle and a half of tequila, all this would go away. Right. I'd be good. good. Right. I'd be good. I'd be good and I'd be gone and you'd go away. Um so yeah, so that so that took time and it took those small decisions, same process that we just talked about, really. Took a, one better decision than I made yesterday every day until I got to that place. Uh you know, even I think about, uh, I, I got sober in 95 and I married my husband in 96, but I married him in 96. I think I married him 20 days, not even 20 days after my one year anniversary. Right. <laughs> I was like, we are not getting married. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So I followed the rules as much as I could. I did the things that people who didn't seem to have these problems in their lives said, maybe I should try that. (laughs) I was teachable, right? I was, I had decided to be willing. And I think that's really where it all starts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, I mean, when you turn it over, when you make that decision and to be teachable, what does it take? What did it take for you to, to be open to hear, to learn? Oh, I don't, I don't, again, I don't think I did it really all that well. I just didn't stop. I didn't, I, every time I quit, I stopped, I went back. Right. So, uh, I, I, they said, you should get a sponsor. I said, okay. I picked a sponsor. She, she, of course I picked somebody who was on their way out the door. Right. So she goes out. So, oh, no, I don't have a sponsor, but it's okay because I'm okay, right? Mm-hmm. I stayed sober and she didn't, right? And so the, there was this, right, every aspect of it uh, fed my ego. And then there had to be a moment where I said, really, are you in charge? Because your best thinking got you where you are. So are you going to be in charge every single day of your life and think it's going to come out better than what you did the first 20 20- two years or 25 years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, so I got another sponsor, got another sponsor and she, uh, she was really harsh, really, really harsh. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you gotta do this and you gotta do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did it for a little while. And then I thought I'm, 
this is not a style that is good for me. I'm uh, oddly because I was I was a really angry person before I was sober, but very but oddly I am actually really gentle, right? I need people to be kind to me and to be uh, positive. Like I respond really well to positive reinforcement as opposed to uh, the sort of you know the. Uh, fitness trainer model of like, do another one, do another one. I'm terrible at that. I just, I'm like, I'm out. Right. <laughs> but if you say like, do you think you could do another one? I'd be like, oh yeah, I could do two, you know, <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> but so that didn't work for me. Right. So then when, and this is the other thing is about listening to yourself. Right. So I was clear that I was, I wasn't trustworthy to make decisions but I also had to be clear that I was trustworthy inside. That when it felt like things weren't good, I had to listen to that feels not good and then make a different decision than what I normally would make, right? Make one that is recommended to me by somebody who either a program like that or by literally somebody who has been where I've been and has some sense of how to get out of it. Sure. Um, and sometimes they're not even people who've been where you've been, right? Sometimes they're people who have studied where you've been and they just have a few tools that you don't have. But that learning how to make decisions is so important, right? Learning that I trust what's the, the yes and no that's in my body. But then I also am willing to sit with it and to bring it out with another human being and look at it and decide where am I with that? Is that motivated? What is that motivated by in me, right? Mm -hmm. Is that because I'm angry at her because she said something I didn't like? Is this the first time I felt like that with that person? Is this the 10th time I felt like that? Ha have I actually talked about how I felt with the person? Have I tried to make an actual relationship with them that's two-sided, right? So what I feel like is non-negotiable really might be totally negotiable if I open my mouth, right? So all those were skills I had to learn and I learned them in such a safe place, right? Because th these people were there to help me not because I paid them, right? Not because they, they wanted something from me, but because they were literally doing service. And that's a different motivation. And it's something that um, <clears throat> makes it a little easier to trust, right? To say like, they're doing this because they have something that you might need and they're just willing to give it to you. Mm -hmm. And such a beautiful thing to do. And, and trust is a big deal in recovery mm -hmm. and in sobriety um, because you had to trust your gut. And mm -hmm. how did you arrive to trusting your gut? Because your gut might have said something, but decisions were different earlier on. Yeah, so I think I actually, uh, there, you know, that play in me had been going on for a long time. So, you know, I'm 16 years old. I decided I want to work on Broadway. 18 years old, I'm working on Broadway, right? So it's like, you, you know, that being able to tune in, I had, I had that from an early age, uh, mostly because I just was a child, right? I was a child. Children do that. They're able to kind of tune into themselves a little bit better than after you kind of get a few things beat out of you right. by life. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, to this day, 
you, you know, I have to say, trust me, trust me, mm -hmm. right? To myself, especially in big decisions, right? You go like, is this, am I going in the right direction? Do I have the right team helping me? You know, all of the things that you want in life, they can all come true. But every single day, you have to ask yourself, am I being fully present? Can I feel myself? Can I know what's happening inside of me? And then am I willing to do what it takes on the emotional level sure. to to sort out if that's a signal to do something different or if that's a signal to face something in me that I haven't faced yet. Wow, I mean, it's such a, it's so profound to be able to actually trust yourself because there's a vulnerability, right? And a, and a, you have to be really authentic to be willing to, to not just trust yourself, but also trust even if it's hard, especially if it's fucking terrifying. So how, how did you get through those? I mean, how did you get through those when it was terrifying? Well, that's a, that is a really good question. I think, uh, I don't do, I haven't ever done anything really, really great on my own in this life. And so I let people in and I let my feelings come out and I let them come out to the best of my ability without trying to hurt the people around me, right? So I had people to listen to me, people to advise me, people to, to see, I changed what I was looking at on TV, what I was listening to on the radio, right? Sure. I reached for it. And, you know, when you have that, when you decide I have that, which is tricky, I think it's really tricky to think that through when you're early in sobriety, right? Sure. Because you feel like I don't have anybody. Right, I'm alone. <laughs> anybody. That's right. I am alone, right? But in reality, you've got, you know, people you don't even know are pulling for you, right? right. So that being willing to be vulnerable is that first step because then you find out who's for you. Right. And you, and you find out how they're for you. Right. Because they may be those people that are saying you are such a screw up. You should be different, you know, mm -hmm. and you feel like they don't like you. Right. But in, in reality, they people do not spend energy on other people that they don't like for very long. Absolutely. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, so you stay connected. So that's right. Yeah. And, and like I said, you have to just keep, keep, uh, what is, what is that saying? Uh, you can quit, but just decide how long you're going to quit for. You're going to quit for a minute. You're going to quit for 30 seconds or you're going to quit and not come back. Right. So that's the thing. It does not matter how many times you quit. I'm done with you. I'm finished with you. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as that period is very, very short. Uh -huh. Right. And in, in medical world, they call it a refractory period, you know, that period, if it's 10 seconds, you're good, you're golden, you're living a life of your dreams, right? But if it's 10 years, you've likely gotten to a point where there's a lot of people who are, are not on your side anymore, who used to be on your side, right? And, and it, including yourself, right? Because there's, that's a long time. <laughs> it's a really long time to yeah. be like, I quit being in this world, right? Um, yeah. So for so, me, it is all about that refractory period, I think. And, 
uh, and knowing that it's okay to quit. It's just not okay to stay quit. It sounds dangerous to stay quit because then you fall off that bridge or you fall off yeah. the building. But if that's yeah. your quit, then that's your quit. You just can't change that after that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you bring up an important point, right? Because those moments, they didn't happen after I got sober. Right. I didn't have that kind of decision making to do after I got sober. And the reason is because I built a life a little bit at a time where I understood my emotions. I understood the things that were driving me. I understood what scared the pants off of me. I understood all of these things and had words for them. And I knew that I was not them, right? That I was able to find an I, a me that is um, not in the moment with every all of the crazy stuff, but sure. in the moment in my body, right? Mm -hmm. And that all of that adds up to a life where the decisions you're making are, you know, about whether you'll have strawberries or raspberries today. They're not about whether you're going to jump off the building or become an old drunk, right? Right. <laughs> right? So I think that the work is the most important piece of it, right? The emotional, spiritual, if you like to call it that, work, the inner work is the most important piece of that. Because without it, uh, I, I, am, I am the same person. So now, for instance, I have been to many parties with alcohol at them, and it never even occurs to me to have a drink, right? Uh, I, I had a friend come to stay with me. She's not, doesn't have any substance issue. She said, oh, let's make cocktails. I was like, okay, how do you make cocktails? I don't know. And she's like out buying the, you know, things to crushed ice and all the things, you know. Wow. And it was so much fun. And that she had a cocktail and I had a mocktail was a blast. It was like so much fun to wow. me. And it never occurred to me that my life would be enhanced by drinking that other thing, right? If it, I would be like, are you kidding? Why would I ever have that? I would never trade what I have now for what I had then. Sure. Not, not in a million years. Wow. But it's a choice every day. Or does it become less of a choice and other things become more... I, I, you know, I know people who it really is a choice every day for them. They have to choose it every day. Uh, I... Um, my personal experience is that if I chose to prioritize my emotional life, my spiritual life, if I choose to, when I chose to do it, I mean, it, it's happened over the last 27 years, right? So over and over and over again. And every time I choose to prioritize that and managing that, then I end up in a place where substances are just not even they're not a part of that world right they're not my world is different than that and so it doesn't have to be for me a choice to not drink although I suppose if I was in that moment with a drink I'd have to choose right I'd have to choose but for the most part um, that choice is more about being willing to be happy than it is about being willing to not drink today let's talk about willing and wanting to choose happiness because you are a joy coach. So I can't wait to talk about this. And because like, did, 
your life had some joy, it sounds like, but it also sounded really, really hard. So how did joy coaching find you or you find joy coaching? How did that work? Again, another long road, right? Another long road, one day at a time. Literally. I went in a direction, literally. So I, um, you know, it's been a few days since then, right? It's been a long, you've got a lot of days you could look at in there. Um, sure. So I, I, I married that guy at a year, right? And I uh, had that career and that career morphed and I gave myself tools. I learned how to run a business. I learned how to design websites because I was like, a a voracious learner. I still am. Um, And I, he said, I want to move out of the city. And, you know, so all of these life events happen. And I said, okay, all right, we'll figure that out. And I started, this is like 2003 or something. I'm designing websites, right? So we didn't have like builders, right? You had to learn HTML, right? So, uh, so I, you know, one decision at a time i said i want to be happy right i just want to be happy and i'm willing to wait for it i'm willing to not go like right now dang it (laughs) right (laughs) and i'm willing to say this moment is good enough and another one will come along that's even better and so all those decisions, right? All those life roller coaster life events. We moved to the country. I don't I can't do anything in the country. I don't know anything except that I got all these skills, right? I'm a I I work on Broadway. Like what am I going to do? Right. <laughs> like now I got have all these skills. Why did I learn them? Because I listened to myself. Because I said I want to be happy. What would make me happy today? I want to know how that guy balances a checkbook because I don't know how to balance a checkbook, right? Okay, I'm going to learn about business. That's what I'll do. Okay, I want to learn how people get money. Maybe I'll go down to the, uh, there's a li- specific library in New York City where you can learn about grants, right? So all of those things, they were led, right? They were, I was willing to do whatever was next to feel a little better, to be a little bit entertained, to feel, uh, there was no end game, right? I wasn't doing it so that I could, you know, whatever, win the lottery of my life, yeah. right? So it was that tuning was how I was able to just say no to a drink, right? That I tuned to things are okay. And, and I entertained myself today and I watched happy TV and I made some money and I learned about something, right? The world is more interesting than I give it credit for. Mm. Um, And those decisions, those are very early decisions that I'm talking about, right? That's not the last 10 years that I'm talking about. But those are the decisions that set up the life that you end up in, right? Because it's the decisions you're making today are not really going to have an outcome that is profound today, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of the decisions that I make today, I'm going to see a real difference about in 10 years, in five years, in a year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So how did I become a joy coach? So, so I, I go to the country. I know how to run a business, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I get a job at a, at a furniture store selling furniture. I'm like, okay, and I do the best I can do, and I don't care how much I get paid, and I just keep doing the best I can do, and I get promoted, and I become the store manager, and I do that again. Do keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that, and I become the general manager of the company. And I keep doing that and keep doing it to the best of my ability, right? I just decide that I am willing 
to participate in life in a way that both feels good to me and is really juicy for everybody around me, right? Doesn't have to be drama. There doesn't have to be chaos that we can have real connection in the regular old furniture store, right? <laughs> we can go to our job in the, uh, uh, what do you call those cubicles? And we can have real connection if we show up, if we show up to that fully 100%. So I keep doing that and I keep doing that. And uh, I became the CEO of that company. And at, along the way, uh, my husband, who we, we had bought our bed and breakfast and he ran it and, uh, and he got sick. He got sick and he said, oh, I'm, I'm not doing any of the traditional things. No, not doing that. Why don't you figure out something for me to do? Wow. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> oh, okay, so, so they told you two months. And I, that's what I got. I got two months <laughs> to, to figure it out. And he's like, yep, let's go. I said, okay. So, um, so this is how I get into really understanding the connection between the body and our spiritual world, right? Because he didn't want to go down that road of physically fixing it, right? Having brain surgery and doing all the things. And he, he was like, that's not for me. I he had had an accident when he was young. He was clear about his decisions, right? So, um, so I start digging and I get, you know, you got to call your team, right? When things are scary and they're full of stress and worry and high stakes, I called my team, I called my siblings, I called my friends, I said, okay, I'm trying to figure this out, I can't find it, I got the name of something that's supposed to work exactly for what we're doing, but how do we do that? And when one of them says, oh, I know the top doctor, why don't you go have him have the doctor again? And I was like, okay, and so we go to the top doctor and he gives me a couple extra months, he's like, ah, you got time. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, wow. okay, good. <laughs> so things are getting better by the second here. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, we, I, I, from France, my, I have a sister that lives in France from France. She's able to search something that finds something that I can write. So it, nothing, I do nothing alone in that any of my down moments, if I don't reach out, it's over for me. Right. And any of my high moments, if I don't reach out, they're empty. So being really there means being willing to put up with all the other people in your life, right? And to invite them in and to love them no matter what, and to let them love you no matter what. That's a challenge to let people in, isn't it? Yeah, it is. To like ask yeah, for is. help and to stay connected and like, I am not winning this battle. I need help. I mean, I talk to so many people and they're like, it is one of the hardest things to do. I didn't even go into battle without him. That's the thing. That's where you start. You don't start with I'm failing. You start two weeks earlier or a month earlier or whatever it is, an hour earlier with I have a hard thing to do. Let me try to tell some people what my plan is. Mm -hmm. And then they automatically, because they love you, right? They just do. People who meet, who have met you, they have an affinity for you. Even the people who hate you, they're just on their way to loving you. Like that's the way it is, right? So 
So they kick in, they go like, oh, isn't that interesting? Uh, let's see how I could contribute to your thing that you're trying to do. I love your husband. I love you. I want to contribute. I have met you. Some people who helped me during that time period, they didn't know me. I called this one lady. Uh, I was like, oh, I got it. I found it, right? It's on the internet. <laughs> I called her up. She's, she was in Arizona and, and we were in Massachusetts. And she was like, this is really important. You cannot do this long distance. <laughs> like his condition is not a condition that you're gonna like play around with for the next couple of years and let it get better, right? Okay. And she she didn't know me. She didn't love me, you know, like none of that. But she took her time to go away, find somebody in my area that was an hour and a half away and put me in touch with them. She called them up. She said, this is a person who contacted me. Can you make time for them in your schedule? Then she called me up. She said, I got the person. Here's all the information. She will make time for you, right? That was nobody to me. She, I mean, she's a lovely person, don't get me wrong, but um, people want you to win, right? They want you to win. And I think that's the thing that's really unbelievable when you're in a life full of addiction, mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. me against the world. Even when I got married, we yeah. thought it was us against the world. <laughs> we didn't know it was the world helping us. Right. So, so is, is this how you got closer to joy and doing yes. this work? Yes. So I, so I, in, as part of that process, I went and, uh, I got, uh, licensed as a spiritual health coach and not only I did, but so did my husband. Right, because that connection between the body and the mind and the spirit, it's personal. You have to really decide that you're willing to work with it. And so he went and we went and we had, oh, we had the best time. We trained on this and I was hooked. I was just hooked. I was like, I, this, is, this is the answer that I've been asking for. How many years is that? That was 08, so for 13 years. Right. This is the answer to like the next logical step of how do I have a better life? How do I enjoy myself more? How do I enjoy the people in my life more? How do I get better pay? How do I write all of the things that we want that we think are going to make us happy? Uh, they're all a lot easier when you learn these skills. At least that's the hook that I got. Right. That's sure. the that's where I was like, yes, this is my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just continued, I just continued and continued and kept educating myself and kept learning about both the physical because he was in that condition needed physical support, right? So how does that what are those two connections? And how do we how do we impact our bodies? Actually, now I call them above the line and below the line emotions, right? And sometimes when people hear that they think, oh, you're a little judgmental, right? You think anger is bad and right. But in reality, that line is a line in the sand that your body draws, right? Your body makes chemicals that are stress producing when you're in certain emotions and your body makes chemicals that make you feel really, really good when you're right. in these other emotions, right? So being willing to look at that and, um, and master that and say every day, I'm willing to try something new with that. I'm going to just try to feel a little better. Mm -hmm. Even, or, you know, to, to, because 
these emotions can be fleeting, both negative or above the line and below the line. It's about regulation, right? Um, because joy, I don't know if you know people being joyful 24 hours a day. I, I don't know anyone that way. And as a joy coach, maybe you can help me with that. But no. how, you know, it's like, no, no, nobody, we're not meant to be right? right, right? We're not meant to be, but it is meant to be, this is a little bit dangerous to say, because some people agree with me and some people disagree, but it's meant to be the purpose in our lives, right? There are the moments worth living for when we go back and we play our movie in our mind of the things that went right in our lives. It feels really good. And those right. are the meaningful moments right? Because the recorder got turned on when we graduated from whatever school we went to, whatever level of school we went to, or right? <clears throat> so those are meaningful moments. And when we can do that more often, so it's the same question that we, the same answer that we talked about a few minutes ago with the refractory, refractory period of not quitting or quitting, right. right? It's that same answer. So my same husband, 25 years later, mm -hmm. got really sick and died. Okay. And that was a year ago. And, <laughs> and every day, uh, so, so it was a big swirl, big swirl in my life. Right. So <clears throat> he gets sick. He says, you got to sell this house, big, big bed and breakfast. He said, you got to sell this house right now. <clears throat> I was like, well, we're a little busy here, you know, <laughs> trying That's to keep you alive. Right. And he was like, yeah. It's good. Keep doing that. But uh, you, you put it on the market. So I'm, um, you know, selling furniture out the front door mm -hmm. and we're doing all the things. And uh, so it was a big swirl, really big swirl. <clears throat> and he, he passed away only a couple months later. Um, and, uh, and the house sold four days after that. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so there was a lot going on. Right. There was a lot going on. After that was I, I told myself every uh, during all of that was I, I the deal I made with myself was I will do the best I can mm -hmm. and I am willing to believe in the best possible outcome. So that's significant because when somebody is sliding out of the world, the thing that we want to do is look at it and go, oh my gosh, they're going to die. Right. But that could be days before they actually pass away, or it could be years before they pass away, and you're not present, you're not here, you're not sure. with them in right. that moment. You're busy projecting what's gonna happen in the future. Mm -hmm. So that's that was a really big part of how I walked through that period. It's a balancing act to do the best you can and hope for the best outcome. Yeah, that's right. And then, after he passed away, I don't think I did it before, but I, I, I maybe I did. I had this T-shirt and it said best day ever. And I wore it like every day I could wear it. And people, I'd hired people, I know, right? I had hired people to, um, to, to pack up my stuff. I had a very short period to leave and I had a big giant bed and breakfast and it had lots of stuff in it. And so I had hired people and every day they would come and I, you know, they would show me a box of things and they would be like, what do you think? And it would have pictures from something. And I would be like, oh my God, I'm going to die here. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would say, excuse me a minute. <laughs> and I go in the bathroom and I cry for a couple of minutes and then I go, okay, it's time to go back to work. So I 
calm myself down. And this is a willingness thing, right? Because I didn't want to stop crying. I wanted to pretend I was dead, right? right? But I was willing to feel better. Every chance I had, I'd said, I am willing to feel better. And, um, and I'd go back out there, I'd be like, okay, put that box over there, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, here I am wearing this best day ever t-shirt. And one day, uh, one of the guys that worked for me during that period, there were a lot of people who came for a few days, but this guy stayed for the whole time period. And uh, he was about my age mm-hmm. and he's watching all of this, you know? And he said, uh, you know, what's with you in that t-shirt? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? It's, it's the best day ever. He said, really? <laughs> it really doesn't look like the best day ever. You know, you're off in the closet crying every once in a while. You know, all your stuff is like chaos. Like you're now you're a widow. You don't even know what that means, right? Who knows what that means? Mm -hmm. And your life is like it it just doesn't look like the best day ever. And I said to him, "This is the best day for me because this is the day I'm in. This is the only day I'm in, and I am willing to be in this day." And I'm not going to look back and say, I wish this had happened or that had happened or that or that guy in the hospital. I'm mad at that guy and that guy, you know, the, the guy that died, my, my poor husband. Oh, I could really mad at him. Right. Sure. Why didn't he think he was sick earlier and then go to the doctor or whatever. Right. You can you can come up with thousands of ways to feel bad about the past and the future. But when you're really present right here, like. There's not a lot to feel bad about, right? Because you're probably not, you know, you don't have fire. You're not in a fiery pit probably at this moment. And, uh, you know, you're probably not drowning. Like there's there's really not a lot going on in your one moment that is horrible. Sometimes we get sick, that feels bad, but it's temporary. So we say, okay, I'm present in this moment. What do I do next? Um, and I think that's really the key. And and for me, it was really a key. I So I had left the company that I was CEO of by that point mm-hmm. um, and w- I became coach because I had done all these years of training and helping people. And I had a, a side business helping people as a spiritual health coach uh, during all that time. And so I had, uh, oh, let's see, that was probably... Um, somewhere around 13, 2013. So, you know, I had been, I had been, I I started a practice helping people with business and their emotions and how they walk through that. And um, as I, you know, he had asked me during this period, he had said to me, will you just stop working? And I was like, okay. So I stopped working. So kind of, I let my world dissolve, right? I had to be willing to walk through the unknown at that moment and that's what it takes it's all it takes is i am willing to not know so i closed up everything that i had going on with clients and i walked through that period of figuring out his health helping him with his health holding his hand on the way to the place right getting to be present for all of those things um and and getting to be present for all of the, what most people want to call loss, right? Transition is really what it is. Transition. 
So, so I don't get to do any of that if I'm upset the whole time. I don't get to do any of that if I don't reach for the best feeling thought that I can reach for every chance I get. Without just without ignoring the shitty feelings sometimes, no. right? No, yeah, without ignoring them. So yeah, you're right. A lot of people feel like that does that's uh, that that what that means is to just put on a smiley face and pretend you feel good. Yeah. But it's an internal job. It's an inside job, right? And so when I say I'm willing to feel better, it also means that there are times that I get kicked in the gut. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And whether that's about my, you know, I'm hanging out with my siblings, we're talking about my father passing many, many years ago, whether I'm uh, here in this new town, in this new place, trying to cook something that he would, he was a great cook. And I'm like, oh, I can't do it, right? Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter when any of those things that in the moment that I recognize this feels awful, I have to ask myself, am I willing to feel better? And sometimes the answer is no, I'm staying quit. I'm staying quit, I'm feeling good for a few minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the answer is I'm gonna take 10 minutes and do the thing. I'm gonna cry and I'm gonna be upset and I'm gonna stamp around the house or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there was a time period during that whole period, actually, when I forgot about this, uh, during that whole period when uh, when I was packing up the house, we were having the memorial in the house, and you know all those uh, that that whole thing, best day ever T-shirt moment, right? I still wear them, um, <laughs> but uh, I every day I thought, what is the mo- a television show that I can watch? I was by myself. I had these little cats that I adore, but I had not been the caretaker for them. So, right. So there's the, like, there was all this sort of like downtime that where you just fall into the pit of despair, yeah. right? You That's your potential at that moment. And I ended up finding a series that I had watched before. Most of the TV that is really comforting to me, I've watched it when I was young, you know. Um, And it was a TV show, a series that I could just keep it going in the background for me. And it was about magic and it was about hope and it was about working together and having a team. And it was about people unexpectedly caring for one another. And it was about imminent disaster and things working out anyway. Right. So it was telling a story I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. I had to be willing to turn on the TV and not put on the show about getting chased down by the police and going to jail. Right. <laughs> right? I had to say, what could feel just a little better? What could feel just a little better? What could feel just a little better each moment along the way? And then when you're not in those moments, right, when you're where I am now, where my life is really good and I feel good most of the time, then that becomes that set point for you, right? Because you did the work. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That's Mm. beautiful. So is, is experiencing joy, would you say, a choice? Oh, it's absolutely a choice. I think that uh, the the first choice, like I've said, is willingness, right? That first choice is I am willing to feel better. I am willing to feel even better. I'm willing to feel even better, right? And that that's how joy comes. I was talking to a client yesterday 
maybe it was this morning. Anyway, I was talking to a client and uh, she said, oh, I had this big deal I was doing and, uh, you know, I was, it was precarious and I was worried about it. That was Friday. I said, what did you do? She said, I went away for the weekend and I went with my husband and we had a great time and we ate seafood and we walked on the beach. You know, she was like, yeah, I just decided to not think about it for a little while. And they had a great time. And Sunday night, she got a call and the deal that she had been working on was five times bigger than the deal that she thought she was working on. And she was like, okay, (laughs) this is good. This works, right? So that being willing to get out of the mess for a little while, to not, to just let go a little bit, right? And say, I am willing to be in the unknown there. Right. And that actually, when you, that's kind of the theme is the willingness, like you're saying, and and choosing to to be open that way gives you more Mm -hmm. capacity to actually experience and choose joy, experience Mm -hmm. and choose happiness. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes, that's right. Your capacity grows as you, as you practice, as you practice. It's the same as being an athlete, right? You want to get good at playing basketball, then you're going to have to get the ball and do something with it. And it it is that same thing. You got to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and do the work. Right. And yeah, Yeah. I mean, you come across these, these sticky points where you're like, I cannot get past this. And that my experience for me anyway, I had to go to other people and going to other people taught me the processes, the internal processes so that I can do some of that on my own now. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the sticky wickets are smaller. I can do more of it on my own and I didn't get rid of anybody. I still have them in my life. Right. So that I'm not just out here on my own trying to figure it out. Right. And that's kind of where that full circle, you know, You started staying connected. You started mm-hmm. making those decisions. Um, how how can people find you? I mean, joy seems so elusive these days with mm-hmm. the world and with yeah. the holidays coming on. There's a lot of pressure. Um, so before you we you tell us how we can reach you, what would you say to someone going, "Oh shit, the holidays are coming. I don't know what to do. There's so much pressure, and I'm trying to stay in recovery." What would you share with them? Yeah. So I think there's two two parts to this question. And that the first part is to do all the physical things you need to do. So have a plan going in, know what drink you're going to order, know that it's going to be a fancy drink so that you don't feel like you're below anybody or, or separate from anybody, right? All those things that you can do that you can prepave, you can imagine, you can say, what would be the most fun that I could have at this party? Well, it could be if I ordered, you know, ginger ale with a lemon in it, right? Because that's for me, that's like a go-to drink. I love that drink. Um, I don't drink soda normally. It's a big thing for me, right? So um, so get, get a plan together for how you're going to go through the physicality of it because a lot of times that that oops I used comes from being upset in a moment and picking up the wrong drink right or going to the bar and having to order in that moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) right Mm -hmm. or right so give yourself a leg up and do all of that first 
know what you're going to order know what that you when you're hungry you don't make good decisions don't let yourself get really hungry don't think oh i'm not going to eat until i get there because it's a big meal right go ahead and make sure you're fed you're hydrated all of your basic needs are taken care of this is really important because this sets your body up to be able to support you in the making a better decision right you Honestly, it's a it's a funny line because if you've been practicing worry, stress, guilt, you know, all of those things that we practice before we go home for holidays, right? <laughs> right? Um, then your body doesn't know how to do it. It doesn't know how to do true laughter. It doesn't know how to, you didn't train it, right? So you got to be willing to put all of that first. So I'm going to, I'm going to have a, you know, breakfast bar in my coat pocket. I'm going to be hydrated. I'm going to know what I'm going to order. I'm going to what they call pre-paving, right? I'm going to think about it beforehand. And I'm going to imagine that moment that somebody says to me that thing that I know they're going to say, I know they're going to say it. And it's so upsetting and they know it's upsetting and I'm going to go fly off the handle, right? And go to that moment in your mind and say, gee, what are my options here? What are my options? Right. And do I, are the only two options to like slug them or run, right? Cause that's what it feels like at the moment, either attack or, or recede. But are those the only two options when there, where there, when there are only two kind of really bad options, there's always a third, there's always a third. You just haven't thought of it yet. Right. And then on top of that, the emotional piece, be willing to go there in a good mood, be willing to not let anyone take it from you that's the trick right as you walk in and your mom says well you wore that and you walk in right <laughs> and you go like, right, then this you freeze. <laughs> yeah this is a problem now i am seven in the wrong outfit what am i gonna do <laughs> right. <laughs> right and so be willing to not let anyone take it from you so if that means saying Oh, excuse me a moment and going off in the bathroom and doing little breathing exercises and counting your fingers while you breathe, right? Finding, taking in with you those anti-anxiety toolkit things, Mm -hmm. right? Um, If that means uh, taking a break after dinner or, you know, before dinner and saying, gee, I'm just going to go for a quick walk. I'll be right back. And somebody looks at you and says, really, really, you can't even be here for the two hours that you're supposed to be here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm just going to go. I'll be right back. Or you can come with me. Whatever. That's right. Right. That's right. Right. So those, I think those are the key, the keys for me in terms of going through any kind of, so now I go to events and I don't have any of these kind of issues, right? Because the triggers over time, you can work on you over time. You you don't have to have them anymore. When my mother, who still says stuff like this, says something like, really, you wore that? (laughs) I say, yep. What do you think? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's awful. Oh, fantastic. You have a big, you know, a big opinion about this. Good for you, mom. Right. But that doesn't happen unless you feel it on the inside that there is that space of true celebration of your own self. Congruence. That doesn't happen overnight. Sure. That takes the time and that's the work. But those are the choices to make a little bit over time. I think that's that's really helpful, especially as the whirlwind of things. 
That's right. And bring a friend. I forgot about bring a yeah, friend. You don't want to go by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That's right. Especially if you're walking into a dynamic that you feel like, oh, I've been here a lot and I uh, and it's, you know, not safe for me here. Uh, definitely bring a friend. And if you can't bring them physically, bring them on their text messages and your phone and right, right. be in constant contact. Excellent. And speaking of contact, how can we reach you? Yes, sure. Uh, so I have a website and it's very simple. The easiest way is donalyn.blog and it'll take you right to it. There's podcasts and all sorts of materials that you can get there. And um, yeah, and prioritize joy a little bit, you know? I think that's amazing. You also have two podcasts. Is that right? I do. I do. I have a podcast called Finding Your Spark Again, which is on all the outlets and is on YouTube at donalyn.tube is the easiest way to get to my YouTube. And um, oh, and it's on my website as well. And uh, it. I also have another podcast called Finding Joy Live. And they're really live interviews that I'm doing with practitioners and people who have a little bit of information that they can share about how do you set up your house so that you can reach joy more easily? How do you set up your diet so you can do that? How do you write all the physical stuff that we uh, discount that don't, it feels like emotions are in one pocket and then the world is in the other pocket. No, they're not. They're all mixed in together. Big bag, like a Santa bag. Right. And um, so that is on Facebook and also on my YouTube channel. And so the Facebook group that you can, it's a public group that you can go to is findingjoylive.group brings you right to it. Oh, wonderful. Well, this has been really helpful. Um, we need more joy, most definitely. And to know that it doesn't, it's not this thing that's so elusive and hard to find. Um, but you have to yeah. do the work, but you have to also make the choice. So I really appreciate your time. Have a wonderful holiday. Be safe. Thank you Thank again. You. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.